Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 33 of Authors on a Podcast Talking Books. I'm your host, David Walters. Today I have the pleasure of chatting with author Rob Hayes. Rob was born somewhere south of the Cockney Wastelands in a small town called Bassingstoke. He grew up with all the usual boys' toys, including Lego, Star Wars figures, complete with working lightsaber action, and plenty of Transformers. Playing with these toys inspired his imagination, and as soon as he was old enough, he started playing with swords. Okay, wooden sticks. At the age of 14, he started writing, but like most 14-year-old boys, everything had to be either a vampire, a werewolf, or have superpowers. Thankfully, like most 14-year-old boys, he eventually grew out of it a bit. Uh, after four years at university studying zoology and three years working for a string of high street banks as a desk jockey slash keyboard monkey, Rob ran away to live on a desert island in Fiji for three months. That sounds kind of amazing. Uh, it was there he rediscovered his love of writing and more specifically of writing fantasy. When he's not madly scribbling his next epic, Rob has a variety of hobbies that unsurprisingly are fantasy themed. He regularly plays card games based on the A Game of Thrones and the Netrunner universes and attends tournaments throughout the UK, which I'm assuming you don't now because of coronavirus. Uh, Rob also enjoys airsofting, again, can't do the act of running around the forest with fake guns, shooting, but mostly being shot by his friends. Rob was the, the winner of Mark Lawrence's third self-published fantasy blog-off, which is SPFBO, and with his paritical uh, fantasy novel, Where Loyalties Lie. He is also the Amazon best-selling author of The Heresy Within and the critically acclaimed Never Die. But without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Rob Hayes. Hello. Hey, hey. How you doing? I'm not doing too bad, thanks. How about yourself? Uh, doing pretty good. Uh, had been a bad morning. I've had my coffee. I've had, I've had my breakfast, so uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty alert. I know it's about midday there. So have you had a decent day so far? Yeah, it's actually uh, it's getting towards late afternoon. There's been plenty of uh, dog walking, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had lunch. That's, it, that's about it, right? Um, to do at the moment it's like you know not allowed to leave the house unless there's a dog with me yeah 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 or, or you have to have some kind of papers right <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um all right so just kind of um just to start out with can you tell me a little bit about yourself i mean i know from your from your bio i've got a little bit of your history but just kind of tell me about growing up going through school uh, about studying zoology and university and kind of uh you know how you got to writing well uh yeah okay um I've always, even at school, I was the uh, I was always one of the dreamers of the sort of like. You know, I remember all the all the stories of like my mum coming in for uh, parents' evenings, and the, the the teachers would always say he stares out the window a lot. Um, <laughs> that was just one of my things. I was, just, I was always the one staring out the window, daydreaming of I don't know orcs charging over the horizon or whatever. Um, so it was always. Yeah, it's a, that, that sort of daydreaming um, was always part of just who I was. And I think I just sort of found a, an outlet for it with, with, with fantasy. That was where sort of the, the love came in. Um, I remember I was ill back when I was about, must have been about eight, eight years old or something like that. And mm -hmm. my mum came home with a fantasy book called The Deptford Mice um, by ooh, Robin Jarvis. and. Uh, I just absolutely fell in love with it and then read the rest of the series. And, uh, yeah, that was where my love of fantasy came from, I think. Not where it was born, anyway. Um, but I just, I, ne I never really got into writing until um, I was about, yeah, probably about 14 years old or so. 
and uh, joined a. Well, this is going to be embarrassing, but I'll tell you. I joined a Blade. Uh, you know the the vampire the film. Yeah. Yeah, I joined a Blade um, forum online and uh, took a character, created a character, and uh, we uh, it was sort of like this community where we used our characters with other people's characters and created stories and stuff. And it was absolutely terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope to God uh, all of the stories that I ever participated in or whatever have all been deleted from the world. Uh, they're terrible. I hope that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that was the first, my first real attempt at writing fiction. Um, I moved on a bit from then, luckily. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the well, the whole Fiji thing was um, that was because after finishing university, after studying zoology, uh, I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna pursue the whole zoological. Um, job avenue and it turns out it's uh, really competitive <laughs> and I just didn't have the, the drive for it so uh, I, I, I managed to get onto a, a, um, a marine research um, thing where I did three months in, in Fiji on a desert island uh, doing scuba diving and mapping coral reefs and whatnot. while I was there I just started writing uh, again which I hadn't done for quite a while I think that was when I just sort of went, you know what, I'm going to give this a go. Uh, even back then, it was absolutely terrible. I was in no way ready for the I think I was reading Game of Thrones at the time, so uh, the story I wrote was very Game of Thronesian. Um, there was even a wall. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's, that's where that came in anyway. But uh, since then, I've progressed a little bit, thankfully. Just a little bit, just a wee bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, I actually create my own worlds properly these days, which is always a good thing. <laughs> um, so I guess besides your uh, your time in Fiji uh, with your marine biology attempts, what do you what would you say the oddest job you've ever had was? No, I was an insurance salesman. That was a pretty odd one for me. Um, I'm, I'm incredibly introverted. To be honest, I'm, I, these days I live as a hermit and absolutely love it. So uh, to take a job as an insurance salesman is an odd one. Uh, speaking to people all day, every day, it was it was not my favourite, um, and uh, I hate it. It was it was right about the time we had this. Uh, I can't even remember the company name now, but there was this little uh, catchphrase they had, which was "quote me happy." Uh, so every time I spoke to people, they were just like, oh, yeah, you're from this company. Quote me happy. And it just got to the point where I was grinding my teeth. It's been on six weeks, and then I was just threw in the towel. I couldn't take it anymore. It's horrible. Um, but to say, it kind of, yeah. it kind of led you, led you to, to swords because you wanted to stab a few of those people. <laughs> oh, yes. I wanted to stab everybody. Uh <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you're so when you're writing, do you do you uh, in, in your writing you know stuff with stabbings and beheadings and stuff? Do you do you just think about those people that always say quote me happy? Oh yeah, channeling it. Um, <laughs> just yeah, we're, what were their names? I'm going to kill this person. <laughs> uh, no, not not, not quite. Um, <laughs> I don't remember a lot of it. To be honest, it was. Uh, it was a period you just blocked from your life. But back then, I was I was doing loads of these 
um, temporary bank jobs and the like. Um, so not the most fun time of, uh, of my life. It was boring, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Boring and enraging at the same time. It's a very weird combination. Yeah, yeah, a bit. Because you're just kind of sitting there bored, but also seething with rage. <laughs> You just, oh, I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk to this person. Then you've got to be happy and and uh, talk to them in a cheerful manner and, and, and not get annoyed when they're having a go at you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, never again. Yeah, I can imagine. I uh, I did a, a little marketing job, uh, kind of like a summer, summer internship when I was in college. And uh, basically, I'm, I'm trying to sell advertisements in our um, like student calendars that everybody gets at the beginning of the year just to kind of keep up with your studies and tests and all that stuff. And, uh, and so I'm having to drive around and in a, in a basically a college ghost town because everybody goes home for the summer. And trying to sell to businesses that can barely keep their doors open because they can't make sales during the summer because there's nobody there. And every single time I drove up to a business, I go, do I really want to go in here? Because I'm just going to get turned down again. (laughs) (laughs) So I know exactly how you feel. (laughs) Yeah. Feels like just flogging a dead horse, doesn't it? Exactly. I'm like, I've been, I've been up since you know, say seven. I've been doing this until five at night, and I've sold zero ads. I'm like, and I have to do this for another two months. I was like, I, uh, I don't think marketing's for me. I think, uh, I think I'm just gonna go ahead and get the degree and go do something else. Yeah, it's really demoralizing as well. You sort of like, it sucks your will to do anything else. You just come home and you're like, yeah. I'm done. I'm just going to veg out and have a drink. Yep, exactly. It's like, a, all right, what 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 show can I binge? And do I have any any whiskey still in the cabinet? <laughs> always, you always got to have whiskey in the cabinet. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And it's, and it's always the cheap whiskey. So you know, you, you know, you always always have plenty of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Gets you drunk, but does not taste nice. Exactly, exactly. Uh, got to chase it with something. <laughs> Uh, so where do you uh, where do you typically find yourself writing? Do you write a lot at home? Uh, I mean, obviously now you do, uh, but like I guess prior to that, did you uh, did you try to go out and and write in like coffee shops or little dive bars or anything? I tried the writing in coffee shops, um, and I know some people who swear by it. They absolutely love it. I just found it too too noisy. Uh, I, I need um, I need quiet when when I write. So um, I, I just couldn't. Couldn't really do it. I couldn't concentrate. I never got much in the way of words down. So um, I'm definitely a, a right from home type of person. So even when I was working like uh, a full time job, um, I'd sort of like I'd come home at I don't know whatever time it was, six o'clock in the evening, and then I would basically write until about ten o'clock in the evening. Um, so it's like four hours, a good four hours of writing. Uh, luckily, my dad uh, was living with my dad at the time. He was very understanding. He'd just bring me dinner up and be like, there you go, sit it next to the computer while I'm sat there typing away. And, uh, yeah, but these days, um, I'm lucky enough to, to do it as a full-time job. So it's I have my own little office set up in our house. Um, that's that's where I write. It's still pretty noisy because we live next to a big um, uh, motorway, but sort of dual carriageway. Which can get quite quite noisy during the day. Admittedly, not at the moment. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I I need relative quiet. Um, I can't even listen to music. I find it affects me too much. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was talking to Stephen Graham Jones about that kind of topic about you know how some writers listen to music and they'll talk about 
you know, you know, like as on social media, they'll say like, Oh, I'm listening to this today while I ride or I'm listening, you know, I know Sean King listens to a lot of music when he does his graphic design work. And, mm-hmm. uh, but like Samir Jones is like, I just, I can't like, he goes, I get too focused on the music and I'll like even start like listening to it or tapping my foot or something. And I just completely give up on writing. <laughs> well, I find that, um, I, it, it works really well for sort of the, the 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 dreaming aspect where you sort of you know you're going through things in your head and plotting and planning and sort of that. But when it comes to the actual writing, uh, the music goes faster than my the, the, the than the words flow. Right. So if I'm listening to something sort of like really uh, you know sort of uh, actiony and whatever while I'm writing an action scene, that's all fun and well. But if the track changes and then suddenly I'm listening to something else, it completely interrupts the flow. Of whatever I was writing and just drags me out of it. Um, so I, I can't, I just can't do it really. Uh, I, I try for silence, but yeah, it's not always possible. Um, <laughs> especially when the dog just decides that she wants to attack me. Yeah. That's when you even in the middle of writing something and something there's just a dog like yelping and leaping up at you, yelping, yeah, yapping. <laughs> um. So tell me a little bit about your writing process. I'm sure it's changed over the years. Um, do you consider yourself an architect or a gardener? I'm very much a gardener. Um, <laughs> I actually got asked this the, the other day, so it was actually, uh, how much how much world building do you do before you sit down and write a book? And I'm, I sat there thinking about it. I was like, none. Um, yeah. <laughs> 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 They specifically asked me about Never Die. They're like, how much world building did you do on Never Die? And I sat there and went, I did absolutely none. Uh, I had this idea that I wanted it to be uh, very heavily based on sort of like martial art films and, and anime and be a sort of a love letter to them. Um, and I had this idea that it would be, you know, a young boy who's given the power to resurrect dead heroes. And that was literally it. And then I sat down and I started writing to see where it takes me. Um, and that's quite from the first way. When writing the, the when writing book one, I rarely have any idea about the world. Um, what's you know what, what it exists within it? What's going to happen? Um, I may have an idea of a few of the characters that are going to appear in it, and sort of a, a rough outline of here's some set pieces along the way. But uh, yeah, I, when I when I first sit down for book one, I've got no idea what's going on. I'm just going to see where uh, my brain takes me. which mostly in good places, I guess. They seem to work. Yeah. Uh, book two is slightly different. I've tried writing books, writing book two in series without a plan, and that doesn't work so well. Uh, that led to a whole rewrite of, uh, of the second book in my latest trilogy. Um, so I need to have a bit more of a, a plan of beginning, middle, and an end there, and a few more of the characters along the way. I'm, I'm, I'm very much... Uh, a gardener, I just I see where things take me and hope that it all plays out. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine that that isn't too bad of a you know a choice in writing your first book. But yeah, if, if you're trying to get two and three done, I can imagine there has to be some kind of outlining or plan going into those to go, all right, how do I get from one to the end of three? <laughs> yeah. At that point, you're just kind of like, well... I've added all these things in uh, at book one, and I suppose they've got to play off in book two or three somewhere. So I probably should find it out a little bit. Right. 
you need to have your setups have some sort of payoff or you're just like, nah, it's going to ignore it. It's fine. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, and, and you're like, you know what? Maybe nobody will even notice. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody will always notice. Oh, that. yeah. <laughs> and, you'll, and you'll get a hate letter about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, so uh, who are some of your writing influence, especially growing up and maybe even more that you have now? Um, growing up, I, uh, I think uh, the, 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 the author who inspired me to want to actually give it a go in the first place was actually uh, Maggie Fury, who wrote the Artifacts of Power series, um, which I absolutely loved back when I was a teenager. Um, and those were definitely the books that, that made me want to get it, actually get into it and to actually give it a go. Um, I don't think they, they influenced me in style so much anymore, but they definitely influenced me in, in that way. Um, but I think style-wise, I was very influenced by by authors like uh, George R. R. Martin for a start, just because I think he was the first sort of author I, I read where I realised, okay, hang on, you, you can actually write pretty pretty dark stuff, and you can really you know, kill your characters off. That was always a fun one to, to learn. Um, and then, you know, authors like Joe Abercrombie and and, uh, and and Chris Wooding as well, because they, I guess, they sort of taught me that you can add a bit of humour into the into the into the writing, even when it's quite a dark tale. You can still infuse it with, with a sort of dark comedy, um, which helps alleviate some of the, the grimness, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and then I think these days I'm, I'm, I find myself very influenced by uh, the patron saint of self-publishing, Mark Lawrence, um, <laughs> just because I absolutely love his... Uh, his, his way with his way with words, and he always feels a bit like a poet to me. Um, in, in some of his turns of phrases and some of the sort of observations he makes in his writing, are absolutely brilliant. And just so many quotable lines, absolutely love it. So yeah, I think I think those are some of my my major influences. All very much on the darker scale of things, admittedly. <laughs> yeah, a bit. You have no lighthearted influences. That's okay. I mean, you write some pretty grim stuff. So. <laughs> Looking at the bookshelf at the moment, I'm thinking, I have no light to the books in here at all. <laughs> I think the lightest thing I have is probably uh, Josiah Bancroft's uh, Towers of Babel. And they're not that light. <laughs> not really. No, I mean, uh, they, they have a very, uh, I guess, lighthearted feel. But when you actually get into it, you're like, oh, that's pretty dark. <laughs> Exactly. No, I, I, uh, I don't really seem to, to read much in the way of lighter stuff. I suppose um, on my on the audible side of things, I've got a few things by like uh, Brandon Sanderson, like Skyward, which is pretty light-hearted. Uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, it still deals with pretty heavy issues such as uh, you know racism and the like, but yeah, it's pretty light. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I uh, I feel like I'm the only person who hasn't even read like one Sanderson novel, and I'm probably I'm probably gonna get beaten by this on Twitter, but uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't read a single one by him. I finally read um, you know Abercrombie's First Law trilogy, and I've read a majority of Lawrence's stuff. I still haven't read Red Queen's War, but I actually just got the omnibus in the uh, mail yesterday, which my wife wouldn't let me open because of of COVID, so I've, <laughs> I've got to delicately 
you know, grab the parcel today and cut it open so I can get the book out. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I, I can kind of see, you know, how you're influenced in certain ways by certain authors, especially, you know, with Abercrombie with, with the humor and Lawrence with kind of his prose. Uh, and then of course your entire bookshelf is covered with dark, you know, fantasy, which is kind of what you're known for, especially here recently. So. Well, I think so. Um, well, I wouldn't worry about that. I've been, uh, <laughs> not having read any Sanderson novels. Uh, I, you know, I've actually never um, read a Harry Potter book, so or actually seen a Harry Potter film. So you know, they're kind of teach their own, right? <laughs> no, I, there's loads of classics I've never read as well. Actually, like I, I occasionally get recommended something like David Je- uh, Gemmell, and I'm just like, I don't know, <laughs> never read it. <him. laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm I'm trying to catch up so much on the stuff that's out now. Granted, you know, Sanderson Sanderson still has like book four coming out. I'm assuming still this year with everything getting pushed back. But you know, I'm like, I they, they look so daunting with how big they are. Oh, uh, the Stormlight Archives ones definitely are. I mean, I listen to those on Audible, and they're like fifty hours each. It's, yeah. It's, the, the reason I decided to listen to them is actually because they're fifty hours each because I only had one credit Audible credit, and I was. Get the biggest book you can. How can I make this one audible credit last until the next month when the next one comes in? A 50 hour book, that'll do. (laughs) Just hopefully you really enjoy that 50 hour book. I can't imagine having a whole month go by and you're just slogging through something that's 50 hours. But from what I I know, his books are pretty good. Yeah, I, I, I. It was the first uh, first time I'd actually read any or well, listened to any Sanderson since uh, Miss Bourne, so I had no idea what I was really getting myself into. It's been ten years or whatever since I last tried them. Luckily, yeah, they're pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, so uh, so you you were in the in Mark Lawrence's SPFBO. So what was it like winning it? I mean, to be out beat out two hundred ninety nine other novels is pretty pretty spectacular, especially when you consider some of your competition like Andrew Rowe and Alec Hudson and Damian Black, among others. But what was it like winning? What was that feeling? Nerve-wracking. Um, wonderful. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, absolutely nerve-wracking because, um, I mean, there's the elation of finding out that you've actually, you've actually won the, the thing. You're like, ah! um, but then it's, it's, it's the nerves that sort of come afterwards because then suddenly you, you find yourself – you, you know, your, your, your name's a bit more well-known and you've, you've won a, an award and something like that. Ah, I hope my next thing can live up to it. Uh, and it, it's that idea that you've got to, you've got to keep doing what it's, uh, success is, you know, it's, 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 it's not as easy as failure. Uh, failings are quite easy because then people don't expect you to succeed afterwards. But when you <laughs> succeed, then suddenly you're just like, ah, I've got to, I've got to succeed again. Um, so yeah, it was it was absolutely it was wonderful winning it. Um, but the whole experience is it, it's nerve wracking. I, I don't think um, a lot of people realise how terrifying being in the spiff boat can actually be, especially when it gets to the final stages when you're just waiting for scores to come in, and then you know you're sort of like, oh, where's my book on the scoreboard? And if you get a bad review uh, and it, it knocks you down, and so you just oh, it, it's painful. And then yeah, it's 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 really terrible. I've actually spoken to a few of the, the current finalists uh, this year, and you know, they're, they're they're feeling the same sort of thing. This sort of like this 
just general anxiety, nervousness of every time they see like a post coming from the the Facebook spiffboy pages. It's like, oh my god, do I check it? Do I look? Is it one of mine? Is it one of that? So it's uh, yeah, it, it's it's scary, but, but it's such a, a brilliant opportunity in the spiffboy to get your book uh, read by by more people to get it talked about to, to get it just more noticed, basically. Yeah. Um, also to to build your name as as an author um, it's yeah really an amazing opportunity and massive thanks to, to mark lawrence for dreaming the whole thing up yeah yeah i remember uh when i was a part of book nest i think we did i guess it was the first year's um spiffbo and uh and i and you know i remember just kind of seeing how the other, cause I think that's when Patrick was still in book nest too. I mean, it, it's kind of funny seeing how, where we are now versus where we were just a couple of years ago. But, uh, uh, you know, just kind of seeing how it started off by, okay, here, you know, here's all the blogs that are doing it. Here are all the novels. Here's how they're going to be spread out. And then here's how long you have for the, for the first section, um, you know, for the first like round or so forth. And then when you get to the finals, everybody's like, all right, we we have to have your definite answer on how you feel about this book, and you're like, I I don't know how I feel because <laughs> because like from our perspective, like you know, it's it's not just reading another book and giving a review. Like this actually not not that normal reviews don't mean something, but it's like this means a lot more in the you know at the end of it than it would be just reading a one off novel and going on to the next thing. Um, yeah, so it's really it's kind of nerve wracking too. What's that? It's got more of a sort of a, a, a gravitas to it, doesn't it? it yeah, it has. It, it does mean something in the in the wider scope of the competition, not just you know these are the people that look at my reviews, right? Uh, it, it, you know, this is what I thought of the book. It, yeah, it's. Uh, I suppose it could be quite daunting as a judge as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. Like, okay, did 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 I really give it my all? Did, <laughs> did, it, did you know, especially if. You know, say say it's a book that you're not quite jiving with, but you know you're like, I need to get through it. I need to give my honest opinion, etc. And you know, you kind of wonder like, oh, if I had been given another one of the finalists, would I have, you know, would I have felt better about it than one of the other, you know, the judge that actually got to it or something? And so it's a, it's an interesting you know perspective from our you know from our side, or I would say our side. I'm not doing it anymore, but um, kind of how it was versus how the author would feel about having their book judged. And I think that's a, that's a super harsh term to say, you know, we're judging your book. <laughs> it is, but it's, it's, it's also accurate. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause like, cause you know, whenever, whenever it says like, you know, somebody says I'm judging you, you you kind of feel a little like, you know, very scared, which, you know, I'm sure is also an accurate statement, but uh, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting little thing, and I, and I feel like I would love to do it again. But I don't know. I I feel like there's just so much pressure on both sides, and uh, and I don't I don't do well under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> I know that feeling. Um, <laughs> it, it's also it's a hell of a commitment for, for like a, a, a judge as well, especially yeah. if you know uh, under the the first stage of things, you're going to have to read in some places some of the the sites do sort of five books. Um, some of them, the judges have to read all 30 books to decide on, on which one to put through. And then in the finals, you're reading another, another 10. Yeah. Nine at that point, I guess. Um, so that, that's a hell of a commitment to read that many books. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, that, if, if you count up the whole thing, that's 40 books. That, that's as many books as I read in a year, period. <laughs> in a good year. Yeah. So yeah. Um, to make that sort of commitment as a judge is, you know, it, it's a special thing. So I've got a lot of respect for them, even the ones who wrote my books badly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think that's the, the main issue I have is just the commitment for it. Because, I mean, I've, I've got, you know, other reviewers on my site, but – you know, some of them don't read quite as quickly as I do. And, you know, I, I don't, and some don't read one novel as quickly as I do. I mean, I, I can blast through some sometimes and other times, you know, it, it depends on how everything else outside of it's affecting it. But I just was like, I just don't know if I could commit everybody to doing it. And I don't know if I could commit myself to reading more than five books <laughs> in, in a round. So I was like, I just, I don't know if I could do it, but Yes, there's some blogs that there's one person and they do the whole thing and props. That's all. Oh I'm yeah, doing. I don't know how they manage it, but wow, it's absolutely amazing. It's like um, the the year that well, all things low won it. I think it was uh, uh, Esme um, from um, I can't remember blogs. Yes, uh, she she read was it 200, 200 of the entries that year, something like that. And I think she burned herself out. Yeah, but that, that was, yeah, I can see why that would burn her out. That, yeah. that, it was a hell of a achievement and, you know, absolutely amazing to do. But I think I think that might have been setting the bar too high. Nobody's yeah. ever going to top that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, she, she, needs a, she needs a plaque of her own. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well done to the winner, but uh, Esme gets her own uh, award. Exactly. <laughs> All right, so uh, so you've also got a novel in 2019's Spiffbo, which is still going on. Uh, it's in the finals now with Never Die, which is an absolutely mesmerizing novel that includes Samurai, Shinigami, Vengeful Spirits, and an Impossible Quest. What is it like your second time through? And can you tell us a little bit about Never Die? Yeah, uh, it is actually my third time. Uh, oh, is it really? I, yeah, I, I actually entered uh, the second Spiffbo with my steampunk book, uh, It Takes a Thief to Capture Sunrise. Oh, okay. I don't know how I missed that, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was in um, Bookworm Blues uh, group, and it, it never made it past the sort of, I guess, semi-finals as they were, or, or whatever. Okay. Uh, so, um, yeah, this is, this is actually my first time. But, um, you know, second time in the, in the finals. Uh, it, I find this time around, I am not quite as nervous uh, because I've been here before and I know how it all plays out. Um, so I, I think, yeah, there's, there's slightly less nerves this time around just because I've experienced it before, but it's still bloody nervous to be honest. Mm. Um, but as, as for Never Die itself, uh, yeah, it, it was just an incredibly fun novel to write you know it's just this idea this uh, idea of writing a, a love letter to, to to martial arts and you know martial art films and um and anime uh, that i used to to watch as as a kid and having you know like heroes with with, with cool names and, and fun almost superpowers and everything um so it was just it was a really fun book to write from start to finish really. uh, it, it flew off the uh, off my fingers or fork into the keyboard no, whichever way you want to put it 
Tell me, uh, I guess, tell me a little bit how you came up with the idea of, um, you know, your main character kind of bringing these heroes back to life. Like, where did you come up with that idea? Because I feel like that's very, very original. <laughs> that actually comes from the idea of, have you ever heard of a, uh, a MOBA? Uh, it's a computer game. Like, uh, it stands for Mobile Online Battle Arena. Things like... Um, League of Legends or Dota, Defense of the Ancients. Yeah. Uh, there are these computer games where you play a, a hero in a team of five against another team of five, and you sort of you battle and, and you, you level up as you go, and then you die, and when you die, you respawn, and you come back. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, that was how the original concept for Never Die first started. I had this idea of writing a, a lit RPG. Um, but instead of having it as set in a MOBA, I was going to have it set in. Uh, sorry, and instead of having it set in an MMORPG, I was going to have it set in a MOBA. Um, and then, at some point, I realised I don't really like the lit RPG genre, so I'm not going to write one of those books. Mm. Um, but I, I just I like this idea of these heroes coming back to life. So I, I sort of I changed it a little bit and and. and at the same time, I think I saw, uh, it, was, it was another game trailer, actually. I saw this game trailer where there were all these really um, sort of varied heroes all fighting against hordes of minions or whatever. Uh, and they all had these really distinctive looks and weapons and, and, and abilities. And I just thought, somewhere along this, my brain just can you know, merged the two ideas and just had this idea of, okay, we'll have these heroes, but then we'll have them getting brought back to life. Um, and then and then decided, oh, I'll have a creepy kid, because creepy kids are always fun. Um, <laughs> that, that, that's actually all from reading Michael R. Fletcher's uh, Manifest Delusions books. Mm. I read his, his first one, Beyond Redemption, and he has a kid in it. Uh, I cannot remember the name of the kid. Uh, they're all German names, and I'm terrible at remembering them. Um, but he's just so creepy. And I just thought, yeah, I'm going to write a book with a creepy kid in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember the name uh, of him as well, because it's, it's been so long since I've... Is it Morgan? Morgan, that's it. Morgan, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was like, I, I was like, I know it's on the tip of my tongue, but I can't remember. Yeah, uh, yeah he was... Uh, he was I gotta go back and read that book. Yeah, he was super creepy. <laughs> kind, of, kind of like a kind of like a Damien kid. Yeah, this really creepy, creepy kid with like a thousand yard stare, and you know, um, seems to be at times older than he is, and at times not. And it was just like I love that idea. It's such a cool, cool thing um, to to have in a, in a fancy book because uh, obviously you, you have it in horror quite a lot, you know, you have this sort of like the creepy kid, the Damien's and the, uh, I'm forgetting the rest of them now anyway, but yeah, these, you know, children, when, when children act creepy, it, it's far creepier than when an adult acts creepy. Yeah. I don't know what it is, it's, maybe it's just because they shouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's because, it's because they're, they're supposed to be too precious and... <laughs> yeah, they're supposed to be all innocent and the like, so... You know, when a child looks at you and just says, I'm a monster, you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, all right, so let's talk about your new trilogy. So uh, new series is called The War Eternal. Um, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this in, in two different ways. You can either sell me on the trilogy 
or you can at the very least tell me in the audience what sort of, sort of journey we can expect. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah. worry. Well, first off, um, I thought I'll, I'll give you my elevator pitch. Actually, it's not my elevator pitch. This is an elevator pitch from uh, an arc reader, which I absolutely loved it. It was, uh, was it? It was Mistborn meets Prison Break, as written by Mark Lawrence. <laughs> Sold. And, yeah. Just, <clears throat> he put that in a review, and I was just like, "That's a brilliant elevator pitch." Why did I never think of that? Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, the 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 book is is um, it's about the main character whose name is Ascara Halcine. Who uh, you start the trilogy um, with her as a fifteen year old uh, um, girl. She's a sorcerer um, uh, for the Oran Empire and fighting in the, the the greatest war mankind has ever known. And then they lose, and she's uh, she, she's taken as a prisoner of war and thrown into the pit, which is this, this, this prison sunk deep on the ground into the bones of the earth where the prisoners are never meant to see the, the light of day again. And uh, the, the first book is very much about her trying to come to terms with the fact that she's been stripped of her magic and she no longer has this, this sort of power and um, trying to make allies amongst the inmates and... and uh, stop herself from getting killed by the, the foreman and trying to escape. Um, but it's all told uh, from the perspective of her future self. It's 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 an older character looking back at her life um, and and sort of so as she's as she's telling it, she's uh, she'll she'll tell you what happened um, and she'll she you know she'll she'll point out the fact that. I was not a nice person, and I could have handled this a lot better than I did. So it's uh, it's, it's that sort of looking back, um, like you find in sort of Pat Rothfuss's uh, King Killer Chronicles, looking back at their life and telling the story of it. I gotcha. Um, so so with it being a trilogy, uh, you know, you've got Along the Razor's Edge, which is book one, The Lessons Never Learned, book two, and From Cold Ashes Risen, book three. So why did you decide to release three books in three months? Because it seems like a heck of a tall task. It really is. I don't know. I like to point out that Ben Galley, fellow war for Ben Galley, tripped me into it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had all three books written for a while. I, I wrote book one in late 2016. Um, I wrote book two in 2017. And then I wrote it again in 2017 because the first version was absolutely terrible. Uh, and then I wrote book three in 2018. So um, by this point, you know, I've had the books written and ready for a good year, year and a half, whatever. Um, everything but the editing. And I, I wasn't really sure what to do with them, how to release them or anything like that. And I met Ben at Worldcon last year, since the, uh, the big convention, which was held in Dublin last year. And we got to chatting about his Chasing Graves trilogy, which he um, he did a rapid release of in 2019. And uh, he said, it, you know, it was a lot of work, but it was also very rewarding because, you know, each subsequent book helped push the previous book. And there was also some mention of uh, Amazon algorithms that, 
akin to black magic and voodoo and all of that lot. Um, so, yeah, he basically, he sold me on it. He said, you know, it's a good way to, to push the book a bit further, get it to, um, to, to more, more readers and, and increase its reach. So with the entire series already written, I thought, all right, I'll, I'll give it a go. I'll release them a month apart each. And uh, admittedly, he did tell me it was a bit of work. I think he may have undersold just how much work getting three books ready to release over three months actually is. It's, uh, it's hectic. There's, from the, the editing to the, uh, the, sort of the, the prep work, getting the covers ready, uh, and a lot to getting all the marketing uh, pieces in place, the, the, the blogs, the cover reveals, all of it. It is. It's. It's full on. It's. A, it's a. It's a full. It's been a full time job for like the past few months trying to get these books ready to actually release, and it's exhausting. And I can't wait to go back to writing something. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. <laughs> um, what is it like working with such a phenomenal duo like cover artist Felix Ortiz and graphic designer Sean King? Because they put out some just incredible work. Yeah, they are absolutely astounding. They're my dream team when it comes to uh, covered, um, you know, covered, cover artwork and cover design. Um, I love working with them. Felix is absolutely amazing. He, uh, I, I, I never really know what I want on a, on a cover. I have these ideas. I look at you know other covers that I've, I've seen. And I'm like, oh, I really like the style of that one. So I really like something like that. Um, and Felix listens to me and then comes back with something much better that I didn't realize that I wanted in the first place. Um, so, for example, with, with this trilogy, uh, I originally thought I wanted something like um, the the cover of uh, The Poppy War by uh, RF. I'm not going to be able to pronounce the name. RF. It's probably, I'm very sorry, oh, that's terrible pronunciation. Sorry. Um, anyway, it was this, you know, this sort of really lightweight design um, with a, you know, a single sort of image and then very uh, flowing sort of um, typography sort of thing. Um, and, and Felix came back with something similar, uh, which I, I must admit, I really love the look of it. Brilliant. Um, but then when we were talking about it with, with, uh, with Sean, I put out that I wanted a typography which was quite... Uh, had more of a classical fantasy feel to it. Um, and uh, he, he came back with a couple of options and you know, I was like, eh, none of them are really what I'm sort of looking for. At which point Felix then just, you know, chimed in and went, I don't think you want something else in the cover. I don't think that's actually the cover you want. And then next morning came back with the cover that is now the Long Resident cover, which is absolutely glorious. And he just nailed it. That was exactly what I wanted. I wanted this sort of more classical feel to it um and then I, I he just leveled up between between covers that you know the, the the cover art for lessons never learned is it's just even more glorious and then the, the cover art from from cold ashes risen is possibly my favorite cover of any book that i have so far i absolutely love it i, I the moment he sort of sent it to me i was like yes that's beautiful i love it it's gorgeous i'm <laughs> so going to get myself a wall print of it <laughs> Yeah, because you you posted that one what yesterday or uh, or had a fantasy I posted it and did that the thing is gorgeous I, that that might be my favorite cover of his so far. 
Yeah, it, it is. It's it's spectacular. And uh, funnily enough, that wasn't the first version he of, that he came up with it as well. He came up with a, a different version um, to begin with, which was like, yeah, that's really good. Love it. And then just as we were thinking of finalising it, sending it to Sean, he just went, I've had a funny idea. Give me another day. Uh, and again, just came back with this, this what is now the cover. And it's absolutely astounding. It's just so dynamic and gorgeous and the light. Ah, it's everything. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I don't know who the cover artist was that did the Poppy War and um, the Dragon Republic, and I, I forget the name of her third book that's coming out, but I think it's the same artist who did uh, the UK, the Galantz version of The Kingdom of Liars by Nick Martell. It's that kind of white background with almost a, like a pencil-drawn uh, cover, and then it's got kind of like just a very subtle like reds and blues and yellows uh, kind of uh, honed in. Is that kind of what you were looking for originally before Felix dazzled you? <laughs> yeah, basically just, yeah, I, I, I like sort of that, that lightweight, that, yeah, that lightweight feel to the cover where it's sort of quite sort of uh, white with a single sort of image on it. It's the same way I, I love the, the covers to uh, John Gwynn's uh, Faithful in the Fallen series, which are basically this very, you know, sort of stark, white cover with a weapon on it and it's just they're simple but they're just they're also beautiful and i, I love that style of cover basically but then i also love classical sort of styles of covers and, and you know the, the ones where you get more of just a, a symbol on it like uh, uh the, the sort of most recent one i can think of is rage of dragons by evan winter the the, that, the traditionally published version of, of that cover is, is absolutely gorgeous yeah. so yeah, and I'm actually looking at the Dragon Republic because I've got a copy of it. It looks like it was designed by Paula Russell, and I'm going to mess this up, Zafronsky. And it looks like it was a, maybe a Shutterstock image was what they used to kind of uh, get um, at least the, the character on there. Um, so, yes, but no, but it's interesting. I'm, I'm always interested to see uh, the difference between, you know, self-pubbed and traditionally pubbed novels, like especially for fantasy, how they decide to – to do the cover art because I feel like um, a lot of, you know, even though Felix did do um, or is in the middle of doing uh, Brian Anderson's new series for tour. Um, I know he's done a lot of, you know, more of the indie uh, stuff. And I feel like a lot of his artwork may be better than some of the traditionally published artwork that they've got out there. Now there are some great traditionally pub, you know, books with great covers, but, I feel like indie pubs kind of starting to overcome <laughs> traditional as far as that. And it, it makes it easier to sell a book. Yeah. I think that's the, the thing. It's, um, it, it's, it's sort of a competition type thing. So with, with, with self-published, there are, there are so many self-published books coming out. You know, there's just uh, every month there are dozens upon dozens upon dozens. I mean, I, I, I run a, a blog of, of noting the, um, the sort of like the upcoming self-published releases um but even then i i only manage like a fraction of of what is actually being released it's just there's so many new books coming out all the time so i think you need to as a self-published author you need to find a way to stand out and in many ways the easiest way to do that is to have a cover which stands out from the crowd yeah so i think it's sort of a um, you know, competition, sort of uh, a war, an evolutionary war, um, <laughs> with self-published authors looking for better and better covers to make them to, to make them stand out, so their book has a better chance of 
of, of being picked, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. This might. I don't want this to come off in a wrong way, and it. I don't think it will. But do you? Would you rather do self pub the rest? I guess your writing career, or do you? Do you one day wish to be traditionally published? Or, I mean, is it like I can do both? If I ever do get traditionally published, I'm just I'm just curious. I I don't talk to a lot of in, you know, you know indie publishing, uh, you know indie published authors that are kind of strictly that. Um, so I was just curious. To be honest, I I would be happy uh, for a traditional publishing deal if if the if the right one came along. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I do actually have an agent these days. I'm agented by John Gerald um, these days. Who's a wonderful um, agent, by the way. <laughs> he's a great he's company. A yeah. To be honest, a wonderful, wonderful man. He's, uh, yeah, he, he's a great lad. Um, and I just found out the other day we share a birthday, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, but no, so I, I am, you know, it, it's one of those things. I, I do have a book which is out on submission to um, traditional publishing houses at the moment. Um, and, you know, I hope it will... It'll get picked up, but at the same time, if if it doesn't, I'm I'm happy to continue uh, self-publishing. Um, it's worked for me so far, uh, and uh, I feel I'm I'm learning how to do it better um, all the time, basically. So, and I like the I do like the the, the control it gives me over it. Yeah, but at the same time. Uh, I wouldn't mind having some of the uh, the the resources that come from traditional publishing as well. So yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, I'd like to to possibly be like hybrid in the ideal sort of situation, both trad and self pub. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I I can see the advantages to both. You know, you you were saying about having kind of control. You can you know whenever you decide to, I guess you know discount your ebook to kind of get some more sales. You can do that. You don't have to go through your publisher to do that and you can kind of control how long it lasts and when you want to do it. And, um, you know, maybe, uh, and, and, and tell me, cause, uh, I know you've only had a couple of audiobooks released. I know your more recent one never die was, I mean, was that something that you contracted out to do or is that something that, you know, that John went out and seeked or did you just decide that you started liking audiobooks and you wanted an audio version of your book? Yeah. Well, I mean, Audiobooks are, it was partly that I've, I've started listening to audiobooks myself, but it was also partly the fact that audiobooks are a very large part of the, the, the reader market these days, and also a completely, in many ways, separate part of the market. So it was another sort of uh, avenue to, to get my, my books out there. So I thought, all right, let's, let's start getting a few a few audiobooks made. Um, and with, with Never Die, uh, you know, I, I specifically went and got a contract myself I used the um, ACX yeah uh, which is, I believe is part of Amazon where you know it's, it's supposed to try and um, you know build matches between uh, authors and narrators so um, yeah it, it was just it's something I've been yeah I, I want to branch out into uh, because it is it's just another facet of, of publishing um, these days with an entirely separate market. Um, and also, it's really cool to have your book read by somebody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, and and and, uh, and and Ken Britton did a fantastic job on Never Die. I actually listened to the audiobook for that one. 
Um, and yeah, and, and ACX is a is a pretty great platform. I know uh, I know Fletcher's used it a couple of times, and I know some other indie pubs that have used it, and I'm sure tons of others use it. Um, but uh, you know, it's, it's just nice because you kind of get samples from people reading it. You can kind of pick and choose who you want instead of just being you know stuck with a narrator. Granted, that's not always a bad thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I mean, and, and you're right. Uh, you know, audiobooks are really becoming more. I wouldn't say more of the norm, but they're definitely a a lot bigger than they were, say, you know, five, 10 years ago. Yeah. And it's the same way that uh, I think ebooks sort of started um, take, taking off as, as well. Um, you know, for, for a long time, it was all, all paperbacks and then ebooks started coming in. And now they're obviously a really big deal. And I think audio is probably going in the same sort of way. I think you know, in another few years, it'll be a massive part of the market. I mean, it already is. Not, not so much for, for a lot of indies, but it's already a massive part of the market. And I think it's only going to get bigger as, as, as the years rolls on, roll on. Right. All right. So can you tell me a little bit about what you're working on now? Uh, okay. So I'm actually working on the sequels that aren't the sequels to Never Die. <laughs> like, uh, after the the reception of Never Die, people absolutely love it. You know, there's a, a, a I absolutely love the book. Well, most of them, some of them absolutely hate it, but there we go. Um, and the, the the biggest sort of thing that uh, people kept saying is they want more. Um, either, you know, it was like, it was great, but it wasn't long enough. I wanted more. I wanted to learn more about the world. I wanted more about the characters. So I decided to, to write more. Um, so I turned it into um, a series of standalone books called The Mortal Techniques Novels. Uh, Never Die is obviously going to be the first of them, and the second, which is called Pawn's Gambit, um, is going to be releasing hopefully at the late end of this year, sort of November, December time. Um, that one's already written. I've still got to edit it, but it is written. The bones of it are there. Uh, and I'm currently working on the third one in the series, which doesn't have a title, so I'm currently calling it Never Die Harder. Yeah, that's a great title. You need to keep that title. I can't. It was like never die harder, or like never die another day. You know, playing on those sorts of themes. It's, um, (laughs) but yeah, Um, it will have an actual title when I don't know. I come to publishing it, but um, that that will probably be released sometime next year. I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna be really disappointed when it's not never die harder. It's never die harder. It doesn't really have any relation to Never Die other than being set in the same world. Right. <laughs> um, all right. So next up, so uh, I know you listen to audiobooks now, and, and I'm sure um, you know you've you've actually read some novels here recently. But because um, I, I keep up with you on social media, so I know you do read. Uh, what is uh, something that you've read lately that you would recommend to the audience? Uh, lately, Ooh, what I read lately. Um, I'll tell you what, last year uh, I finished reading uh, R.J. Barker's um, Wounded Kingdom. Actually, I think I finished early this year. Anyway, his Wounded Kingdom trilogy, Age of Assassins, uh, Blood of Assassins, and King of Assassins. Um, and I absolutely loved those books. Um, they were fantastic. So I would definitely um, recommend those. Uh, and then the last book I finished reading was The Shadow Saint by um, Gareth 
Hanran, which is the sequel to the Dutta Prayer. Um, and yeah, that those, those books are absolutely amazing. The imagination that, uh, that Gareth has is just astounding. Um, and some of the, the things he comes up with are just glorious to read about. So yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, the Gutta Prayer and the Shadow Scent. Fantastic. Yeah, those are those are some good recommendations. Yeah, Winded Kingdom is probably one of my favorite series of all time. Uh, yeah, Gurton Clubfoot is such a great character. <laughs> he is. I'd, I'd love to describe the, uh, the the Age of Assassins, the first book, as it's a um, it's a murder mystery from the perspective of the murderer without a murder. <laughs> exactly. That, that's that's good. You need, have you told Orange that? Because I'm sure he would love it. <laughs> Um, and again, I've, yeah, um, I was actually I was chatting to him on Twitter a lot while I was sort of reading it, and it was just like as I was reading pages, like what the hell, you can't do this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was quite a surreal experience actually reading the book while also just chatting to the guy on Twitter. Right, <laughs> um, but it's lovely because RJ is just he's such a, a lovely guy. Um, really fun to talk to as well. Yeah, but um, yeah, the. That, that that sort of series and uh, I mean, yeah, getting covered. It's kind of like um, uh, kind of like the the, the Farseer trilogy, but uh, on speed. Um, <laughs> it, not not that you know it's sort of like over uh, hyperactive or anything like that. More just sort of um, you know. I, th- I think all three books possibly fit into one of Robin Hobb's books, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so things things happen at a lot faster pace, but they they feel very similar in many ways. Yeah, yeah, I can understand. I gotcha. All right, uh, last question I got for you. Um, what is one bit of advice you would give to aspiring writers? Don't listen to other people's advice. There you go. Um, <laughs> and and <it's>, scene. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> but in a way, it's, it's it's true. I think the the best advice uh, I, anyone can give is just figure it out. Uh, to figure out your way of doing things because it's all fine and well listening to the advice of others and trying to emulate what others have done. But uh, in, at the end of the day, what works for you isn't going to be what works for somebody else and, and vice versa. And, um, everybody has different advice to give. So it's all fine and well to listen to other people's advice, but you've got to figure out your own way of doing things that work for you. Um, and if it's different to somebody else even if they're some massively you know successful writer it doesn't matter it's all about your way of doing things yeah yeah i I feel like it's one of those where you you just have to find your own voice yeah oh definitely especially in in terms of um your your style as well you know i mean i've but the the and, and it will evolve the style i started with is not the style that i began with and i mean i wrote maybe two or three novels before I figured out my my sort of my voice, how I wanted my books to, to sound, how I wanted the narrative to feel and all that lot. Um, and those books will never see the light of day because they are trash. <laughs> so you just have like a stockpile of like, this is never going to come out of this box. <laughs> yeah, it's the uh, burn before reading um, <laughs> file on the computer. I gotcha. Um, well, guys, uh, you can follow Rob on Twitter at Rob of the Hayes. That's H A Y E S. You can find him on Instagram at Rob Hayes twenty thirteen. On Facebook at Rob fourteen six six one. 
just because we have to have random numbers at the end of our Facebook tags. <laughs> but you can also find his website, robjhayes.co.uk. Um, and again, uh, Never Die, which we talked a little bit about, has been out uh, for a minute now, but it's an ebook, paperback, audiobook. Um, and like I said, the audiobook is phenomenal if you enjoy Audible. Uh, but as of right now, you can find the first book in his new War Eternal trilogy, Along the Razor's Edge, out on Amazon. Um, and I think, are you still waiting on paperbacks to, to come out on that one? Uh, the, the paperbacks are technically available, but um, we're in the middle of an apocalypse, so whether or not they get delivered is another thing. Gotcha. Yeah, I, th I guess that's going to be like a probably end of April thing. I've seen April like 24th as like a hold date for most deliveries on like non-essential stuff. It might be a bit later because uh, obviously using the print-on-demand service, um, they're, they're having a bit of issues themselves at the moment. So I'm not even sure the books are getting printed, let alone delivered. I got you. Uh, it's, unfortunately, that's just... It's just how we, we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but guys, you can find it on ebook. Um, it came out on the 31st of March, so it's available everywhere on ebook. Uh, book two, The Lessons Never Learned, will be out on April 28th. And from, uh, book three from Cold Ashes Risen will be, I guess, is that still tentative May 26th or is that actually a legit pub day? No, May 26th. That's my birthday. Yes, I'm foolish enough to release a book on my birthday. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe you'll get some more, you know, everybody's like, oh, happy birthday. I'm going to go buy your book. Um, That's yeah, exactly. It's my birthday. Go for it. <laughs> Why don't you buy all three? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, well, Rob, I uh, appreciate you coming on and, and coming to chat with me. And uh, it's always uh, it's always great to have a talk with you, whether it's here or on social media. And uh, just we, I'm really enjoying your books, and I'm hoping some some of our listeners will get to enjoy them as well. And we're looking forward to more in the War Eternal trilogy. And I'm looking forward to the sequel. That's not the sequel of Never Die, which is Never Die Harder. And again, I'm going to be really mad if that's not the title. <laughs> no worries. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, enjoy the rest of your uh, of your Sunday, and uh, and hopefully we can all go back outside again here soon. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Hope you guys enjoyed my chat with Rob Hayes. Definitely check out his new trilogy, The War Eternal. Like I said, Along the Razor's Edge is out now, and books two and three will be coming out consecutively at the end of this month and the end of next month, so April and May. Um, also definitely check out Never Die. It's absolutely phenomenal, uh, especially if you enjoy anime, uh, you know, anything with samurais. If you enjoy, uh, you know, those type of, of games like Dota or anything like that, especially, you know, with like resurrecting heroes and so forth. It's a really great novel. Um, and I definitely am looking forward to the second book in that series. Uh, but coming up next week, uh, well, I guess this week because it's Sunday, uh, Nick Martell on the 7th, Nicholas Eames on the 8th, and Ryan Van Loan on the night. So three more fantastic guests coming up this week. Two of them debut authors. And of course, Nicholas Eames, uh, the author of Kings of the Wild and Bloody Rose. Uh, but guys, just uh, thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you next time.